Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lamumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Hello, and um, thank you for joining us here at the Mississippi Book Festival. Uh, my name is Timothy Packman, and I am here with author of Mosquito Supper Club, Melissa Martin. Hello, Melissa. Hey, Timothy. How are you? I'm great. So um, for any of you who don't know, watching, we're actually both um, in New Orleans. Uh, we both live here. Very and, close to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right down the street. Right down the street. Yeah. And um, we are excited to be here today to talk about your cookbook and I have a lot of questions in particular about the process because I've, I've written a cookbook as well. And um, I just love hearing people talk about the process. I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people don't really know, like it's, 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 it's nice to be able to have access to an author um, so that we can kind of get into the nitty gritty. And I love that we can see part of your process behind you. So that is very exciting. Yes, I'm definitely in my like creative vortex in the office and I have all of my potential recipes and ideas. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much a visual person and I take it you are too. Yeah, absolutely. And then for the audience, we haven't seen each other since we sat uh, socially distanced on my front porch at the restaurant uh, a long time ago. And you gave me a Creole Marlottin and I killed it. I'm sorry. I planted <laughs> it and I watered it, but it did not make it. You know what? They're actually quite finicky. For, I'm just going to repeat what, what she said. So I gave her a, a Creole Marlottin, which is a vegetable that I feel like it used to be way more popular. And then after Katrina, I feel like they're not as, accept, as accessible anymore. But um just to let you know, I do have one growing, and it's a white Merlaton vine, so I'll give you someone. Okay, good, good, good. And you can try again, because they are finicky. I've killed them before, too. So this is exciting for the audience, too, because we get to catch up. Yes, absolutely. And um, that was actually right when your book came out, because you signed you signed my copy. Yeah, that's when we were doing the porch um, drop-off, where you <laughs> that's right <laughs> pick up your restaurant we would put it in a basket in gloves in the restaurant and, the, and then you could drive by and pick up your book and okay. that was super fun you know you do what you have to do when you uh release a book in the middle of a worldwide pandemic <laughs> yeah. well i'm gonna jump straight into some of these questions okay the photography in your cookbook is stunning mm -hmm. um what was it like working with Denny Colbert, who is a local food photographer here in New Orleans? And did you face any challenges in capturing moments and documenting certain images? Um, so first of all, Denny is incredible. He is from Ohio. He married a woman from Lafayette. So he sort of married into a Cajun family. And we've been friends for a really long time. Um, it was really hard for me to choose a photographer. Mm -hmm. um, I had a couple of different options and I basically let Artisan make the decision of who was going to shoot the book. 
And they chose Zenny, and that was great for me because it made the most sense because Zenny um, had the most access to my life. Yeah. Um, a lot of times people, they'll look at Instagram or they'll look at whatever and they'll be like, well, but how did you, you know, create this feeling? And, mm-hmm. and the feeling is really just my life on the bayou. So if you're around to capture it, you're, you're going to get good stuff. I think with um, Denny, one of the most difficult things is that I wanted Denny to shoot a feeling, not necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. what you see. Uh, I would look at something maybe like a oyster boat that's um, um, uh, wrecked and like going into the bayou, but I've been seeing this same oyster boat for 25 years Mm -hmm. and it invokes a certain feeling. And so I would want him to shoot that. But then eventually after Denny came down the show for years, he had his own feelings about the place. And that's when you have to kind of let go and, and let him uh, let us see the place through someone else's eyes because what I think is important and then what his eyes think is important is two different things. But I think when you're trying to shoot a feeling other than like a place, it's it's very difficult. Uh, we one of the one of the um, pictures that was the hardest to shoot is kind of ridiculous. I hope I can find it really quick, but I laugh about this. Um, a lot of the food my mom cooked for us to shoot because we wanted it to look perfect and there was no food stylist that was going to be better than her. Wow. And so um, she cooked a lot of the dishes and they do look perfect. Denny said it was the most beautiful food to come out of Tupperware he's ever seen. <laughs> show up in New Orleans with an ice chest and then um, and then pull out all this food and it was just like absolutely gorgeous and we were able to quickly shoot it. I um, didn't I didn't know that. That is so yeah that's so touching. It makes it makes it makes the book even more touchy knowing that your mom was actually making some of the food. I mean yeah. And and one of like the great touchstones and the great moments in the book is we had a lot of the book shot. We had pictures, eight by 10 pictures up on all the walls and we were looking at it. And my mother and my godmother came by to see, uh, to drop off some food and to come and uh, see what we had going on. And my nanny who has since passed away, she said to my mom, um, Melissa, oh, she said Maxine, which is my mom said, Maxine, it feels like home. And then me and Denny looked at each other and we said, okay, we're doing the right thing because that's the only thing we wanted. We wanted someone, someone like my mom or my mom's sisters or the community in Chauvin to pick up the book and we wanted it to feel like home. Um, in the same way that you would write a book about Catlin or a book about Basque country and the people from Basque country would open it and say, this is what it feels like to eat here. Um, this picture is of potato soup, which is like basically just boiled salted potatoes with a little bit of salt pork, which my mom ate a lot. My mom, I'm one of six kids. So my mom ate this a lot when she was nauseated when she was pregnant. But it's also when you're sick, it's kind of like our yakamine or our pho, you know, which is like easy to make. It's simple. And we shot that picture so many times. It was like ridiculous. We would shoot it for a couple of hours and then we'd be like, okay, no more. And, but then whenever we actually got it, it was just like this, you know? So it's just uh-huh. like the timing was right. There were some pictures that were so easy. They were just like 
we shot it once and I said that that picture's perfect it's fine we don't need to like mess around with it and then there are some of them that you just keep tinkering with over and over and over um, I know it's almost like you start to overthink it when really the best shot is when it it looks like someone just played it for you and you're about to take a bite yeah, you're about to eat it and but then but then there's also repetition so you're like you can't use your favorite bowl over and over and even though everything yeah. everything looks good in the cracked bowl you just can't use it over and over so but uh we had a we had a wonderful time we spent a lot of time together. He slept in Chauvin a lot and ate my mom's food a lot. And um, he really, it was almost like photojournalism. Like he was, was. Really immersed it into was. your life. And I think that shows in the yeah. book because I know, and, and no, no hate on people that shoot this way, but I know people that, you know, they'll shoot the whole book in two weeks. Yeah. They have a team and they're knocking things out. But you're really telling a story with the photographs and you can feel that. And that's, and that's, so you achieved that you, you made the photographs be an extension of where you're from and they have emotion. And you know? One day we were just shooting in show and we were trying to get environmental stuff, but my mom cooked us all this food and she made for just Denny and I 25 blackberry dumplings. And, um, we just started shooting all the food that she made and the dumplings and like that winds up being the dumpling shot, you know, and like she has some cucumbers and tomatoes that she just cut in the garden and those are in there. So it's just like being in Chauvin is like just like a, just a creative melting pot when you're writing a book about the bayou. Uh, so we were really lucky that we had that Denny had access um, all the time. Um, and he was a good sport. I mean, I don't, most people know this, but the cover of the book is a, the shrimp is alive. Mm -hmm. We're on my dad's boat. It's like five in the morning, some ungodly hour. We're already fishing. And I was about to um, put this shrimp on a hook to um, fish with. And so it's dangling. I'm holding it up and it's just dangling. And it's in the, um, you know, the morning is breaking and you have the marsh in the back and Denny just shot it. And, you know, that's what winded up being the cover. We caught one fish that day. So I'm glad we got the cover. And in that moment, um, or when you first saw the picture, did you think that should be the cover? Or I, thought, I thought that is a, a beautiful picture. And I thought there was so much space around it and the color scheme really, Clean. you know, was so warming. I mean, everything is about water down there. And so I definitely knew that it would be a contender. Um, you know, I'm one of those people where I didn't want a picture on the cover, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, with the publishing company is like, maybe, maybe we're going to put a picture on the cover. There is so, something, you know. there is something really badass about a cookbook that just is like, the content in this book is so good. Like we're just going to represent it with text. And, um, yeah. But um, so. Okay. So next question, which kind of ties into what we were talking about, uh, because the food styling and the prop styling in the backgrounds, everything is so beautiful. And mm -hmm. I was wondering, did you shoot a lot at Mosquito Supper Club as well? And were you using stuff there? Or how did the prop styling come into play? Because I know you did say your mom made some of the food, but in regards to like plating it up and styling, you know, the cutlery or choosing the bowls, how did that work? So we did everything at Mosquito Supper Club, except for the things that we did down in Chauvin. Mm -hmm. 
I kind of went crazy and just started ordering stuff from like France and all over the place, you know, and we used almost all of those pieces, except for pieces that I didn't look, you know, what the dimensions were and it came, you know, too small. So is this like on Etsy or how are you? Yeah, Etsy or like vintage places. So I found a lot of pieces and Denny and I shot and in a lot of that stuff. But then in the end, when we really needed to like shoot for shoot food for like a couple of weeks straight, we brought in Amanda uh, Med Medsker. Um, her last name is hard to pronounce, but um, she's an interior designer, and she designed actually um, a new restaurant in Lafayette called Vestloff. I think the name of it is. Mm-hmm. It's um, another weird name. But um, she's an incredible interior designer. Her and uh, Denny had worked together. Uh, she understood what I was going for, but she was able to show up with a lot of props. Mm-hmm. Uh, she showed up with a table that you see in the book a couple of different times. Like she showed up with this bowl, you know, <laughs> and then she showed up with a table that winds up, you know, in the book a, a couple of different ways. And then just she was there, which was really helpful for when you get so fatigued when you're shooting and you need, like I needed to step away and cook and do things and you just need another eye. Um, And I would, they would be shooting a shot sometimes for an hour and I would come in and say like, no, no, no. Yes. But then she was there to just like help funnel it along. And that was really helpful and wonderful. And she brought a lot of props that we winded up using and she understood the mood board it's also nice to have someone there that um, makes you stick to the mood board, yeah. you know, uh, because when you're, when you're a creative person, it's like a dog and you just threw, uh, you know, 20 tennis balls. Uh, you, you sometimes it's a hard, it's hard to stick to one direction. Um, but she did a really good job of helping us. Yeah. That's, um, that's incredible that, she was able to bring stuff to that you liked because I could see it working the other way where that someone brings home a bunch of stuff and you're like none of this is going to work but she kind of got it and then when you saw the stuff I'm sure there was a couple of things that you were so excited about you were like that's perfect we have to use that. yeah and and I am certainly there's no uh in between even though some of the pictures I may have changed like a lot of times Denny loved it and so I let it go because he loved it and so I wasn't gonna like argue with him about it mm-hmm. I mean there's a picture of soft shell crabs that we went back and forth over which one like a or b you know and I think we went with the one he liked and not the one that was my favorite but that's fine but usually when I see an image, I love it or I hate it. You know, there's no in between for me. It's like very much like how my personality is. Yeah. And so it's easy to make um, decisions, you know, and, and yeah, there are certainly some pictures where you're like, oh, I might have changed that or this. But at some point you do have to let go when you're painting a picture, you have to say it's done, you know, and I, in that I had to just let go and say, okay, this is enough. Um, and just let it ride. I'm trying to find that image of the okra plant. Oh, there it is. So okay. I wanted to show the flower. The 266. Yeah. So a funny story. I'm gonna talk sound like a total creep, but 
um, my neighbor's house, I can't really see into it all the time, but uh, it depends on like if their blinds are open at a certain time of day. But there was one moment, one evening where they were out of town. I knew they were out of town because we're, we're, you know, we're friends. But I was looking through their window and all the way from in my kitchen, in their kitchen, I could tell that the that your cookbook was open and it was this image. Oh, this and that's is- how iconic this image is. Because yes. they have a cookbook stand. And I immediately knew it was that yeah. image. And like we had a couple of images like that one. That was that one was shot way early on, like way, way early. It was one of the very first shots. And there were a couple of shots like that that created the mood board where we were like that shot the um, crawfish heads, you know, where we knew we were gone for this really, really minimalist look. Mm. And we knew that if it was anywhere in the realm of like the image of the okra, Uh of the crawfish heads, then we were standard. Yeah. Doing what we needed to do. I mean, we can't, um, oh, not the crawfish heads. Yeah. The bis. You know, mm, just, you can't, the pictures can't all look like that because you, it would take you 10 years to make a book like that, yeah. you know, and it would be an, it would be an art book and not just a cookbook, you know, but, yeah. um, but those, that image and a couple of other ones really like set the standard for where we were going. That's fascinating. Yeah. I totally- and that like picture shows like how much I love okra, that the uh-huh. okra flower is my favorite. And then. It also, you know, I mean, there's so much stuff encapsulated with okra. So, you know, the, the, the mind could go anywhere from there. Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, I have over a dozen plants and I just, I'm to the point where I, I have to eat okra every day now and I have no problem with that. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So on to the next question. Mosquito Supper Club is a cookbook, but it's also a book of stories. What are some of the main stories or messages that you wanted to share through the book? I think there was a lot of uh, like trying to talk about the myths of Cajun, basically. There's so many ideas around it and it's very much been represented by a specific gender in New Orleans. And I wanted the book, the stories to be a medium for the women that raised me, for my grandmother, for my mother, for my aunts, from the women that cooked and the women that I admire around the world that have sort of um, brought along this peasant cuisine um, and that don't get a lot of um, notoriety for it, that it's sort of been stolen from them. Um, And I wanted to talk about what was happening in Louisiana. I wanted people to understand a little bit about the industry, which is where we get our ingredients for our food that we, you know, create to carry on this legacy of Cajun food. Uh, So I wanted to talk about the industry. And with that, I wanted to talk about the problems with the industry. So everything from uh, pricing because of uh, foreign imports to environmental issues, Um, so I wanted to touch on all the things and those are all the things that I would hear on around like the dinner table, you know, Mm -hmm. like, 
uh, growing up. So it's kind of like a little snapshot of, you know, what is happening when I go down the bayou and then also like what I saw and then the stories that my mom and the stories that my dad uh told me I can say that my mom is uh the chef in the family and all the recipes are inspired by her um but my dad is the storyteller every time you go down the bayou with him or you go fishing with him he has a new story you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) he certainly references some of the older stories but every time you go there's a, a new story and so I really really pay attention and definitely prompt him to tell me stories because it's just you know, it's like living history all the time. Um, And I definitely, even though it is very personal, the book, I wanted to sort of, and it is Chauvin, it's very Chauvin related, but I did want to cast like a net, you know, for a a group of people down there. I mean, Chauvin is a town of less than 3000 people. Mm. Um, But I wanted like, there's just these like notions or ideas of what is Cajun when you come down to New Orleans. And I remember having an argument with a guy one time who was telling me jambalaya was pasta. And it's like, you just have to stop arguing and walk away, you know? And so I want to try to explain to people like, this is what we actually ate, you know? Yeah. Well, and what would you say too about people that have, because I've learned this just, even if I post red beans and rice, I have like just so many opinions about um, the dish or how to make the dish. Or if I post a gumbo, like I, people would just get like, I don't know, preheated about whether or not, it's, whether it's not authentic or not. And I've always felt that like, you can't tell me what something no. means to me. No. That's my relationship with, with what my mother taught me. So yeah, absolutely. And to, for someone to be like, you know, like to try to police or regulate, like what, what you know, what it means to me is just so ridiculous. But no, we are all sharing, like me and uh, Lola's uh, Eric, um, Eli had a huge conversation about this. You know, we're sharing food. We're sharing food from what we learned from um, uh, enslaved Africans. We're sharing food from, um, you know, uh, Creole and Caribbean. We're sharing food from French. We're sharing food from so many different places and it is evolving and it's constantly evolving, you know? And so, yeah, I might have an issue if someone makes a beef gumbo, but you know what? If that's where it's evolving to, then I guess that's where we're going. But, you know, it's like, I can only tell you what my mother who, you know, and my, my grandmothers and who were, you know, Cajun, spe- Cajun French speaking family who have never left this area since their ancestors came over from France. And, and this is how their cuisine evolved. And even the word Cajun, that's not a word we used growing up. You know, it wasn't until later that I realized I had grew up in a Cajun community. Um, you know, this was just our life and this is just the way we ate. And, and it's still the way they eat, you know, it's still, I went down the bayou on um, Saturday and had jambalaya and white beans and fried trout that my dad had just caught. I mean, he was fishing while we were eating, he was catching more trout. Um, And that's just, and, and then last week I saw my mom, we got together, we cut some okra, we smothered it. We fixed some muscadines. We, you know, ate gumbo. It's just like, that is like, it's, this is, that's regular. That's like normal. 
Was there ever a moment growing up where you went to a friend's house and you realized like, oh, what my, what my family does is actually really special. And maybe I, you saw a family where you're like, y'all are eating, you know, everything coming out of a box or, you know. Something. Was it, I was, when I was young, I would go to friends' houses and they had like sweet cereal and like little Debbie's and like yep. stuff. And so I was like, whoa, you guys <laughs> must be rich. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it's the cheapest food ever so i i think it probably took me until i was a little bit older and wiser to uh realize that we had grown up eating like kings you know Mm -hmm. and that we had grown up eating the way you see um you know i've been reading all these old um recipe books i'm about all these old like you know, uh, food from all over Greece and France and Spain and Italy. And it's like the cooking is exactly the same. You know, it's, it's just the same because it's just this old peasant cooking. And I mean, what we don't have in South Louisiana is we don't have like the use of wine. Uh, there's no wine like down in the South and like we uh, turn our nose up to weeds a little bit more, you know, like I think the younger generation is like eat weeds. It's good, you know, um, but I think that probably in the older generation that was there, the wine not because we don't we're not in a wine growing region, but um, these techniques, this food is um, it's timeless, you know, it's it's been cooked this way for, for forever. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on to the next question. Writing a cookbook is a big project to take on and from personal experience can be quite stressful, but also incredibly rewarding. What was your favorite and your least favorite part of the process? Um, I think that for your first book, um, you don't have a lot of confidence in your process. So you are figuring out what your process is. And I think that that was the most difficult thing. You're kind of just, um, you know, it's, you're just in the dark and you're trying to piece together something and you're sending them off to an editor and you Hoping just, like, I hope they like it, <laughs> I don't know, you know, and then they come back with all these lines and, things and you're like it's so it feels so passive aggressive but but it's but it's not I really I really I really did email my my editor and was like is the copywriter like frustrated or mad at me like I feel like there's like a tone and she's like no that's just how the copywriters are but it was really hard I took a lot of things personal I was like are they being shady like was that like yeah. Of this like passive aggressive undertone. Like, did you mean this? It's like <laughs> Yeah. And and then you feel like you're an expert on the subject. So you're like, did you just ask me to like rewrite the onion measurement again? Like, but anyway, that's the kind of stuff that's frustrating. But I think like the big thing is that you don't know what your process is yet, you know? And then finding the time and the solitude to be able to write and put the pieces together. I think for days that I was inspired, I wrote stories. And then when I wasn't inspired, I wrote recipes because for me, recipes are technical. Um, I can cook on paper. It's easy for me. And it's not like that's not inspiring. It's just that recipes and cooking 
cooking becomes a technical skill. And then the stories is a whole nother skill. And then the shooting <laughs> and, and the food styling is a whole nother skill. You know, it's like, it's, it's insane what is sort of required to, to create a, a book in this way. Um, I think that as I write and maybe prepare for another book, I have a different kind of process because I trust in what I created the first time. And so it doesn't make it any easier to write the stories or make it any easier to get the work done. But I feel like I know what needs to be done and I can trust in that process a little bit, you know. You have more of a grip on it. And yes. It, it, I, yeah. And I mean, literally, it was just like, you know, like hundreds, basically, of yellow legal pads. And then like, you know, um, yeah, so like, and then just like white sheets of paper would what maybe a chapter would be and like story ideas under it and like, you know, eight or nine of those on the wall. And then I would just try to check them off, you know, and whatever I felt inspired to write about or what was in season. And then it's just one by one, you know, it's like Anne Lamott says, bird by bird. I think that's a, a really important thing that you mentioned too, like um, being able to listen to yourself and say, hey, like I want to write about the food now because you don't always, you're not always in the mood to do that. Right. And when that does come, you really have to listen and sit down and enjoy it. Because if you're not having fun and enjoying it, then it's just like painful. So yeah. um, I think that's, that's really interesting. Okay, so next question. Oh, you didn't, you didn't say your uh, favorite part, though. <laughs> what was your favorite part? Opening the new book and being like, wow. Um, my favorite part for that book, for this book, is uh, spending all the time with my mother. Uh, so I spent three months total living at uh, my mom and dad's house in Jovan. Their house, they've lived in this house for 54 years. It's the house that I lived in for 18 years until I left home, which is kind of hard for some people to think about. So it's like when I go home, like I go home. It's like the only home I've ever known other than my rented apartments. Um, and so I got to take time off and spend a month there at one time and then like two months or like a month and a half another time and then a whole month again. And I really wanted to be there for each of the seasons and really feel into the rhythms of the bayou and what was still present and what we had lost and just like really dig in. And so I woke up every morning and I meditated and I said the rosary because that's what Cajun ladies do. And then I drank coffee with my mom and I started working and midday I would take a break and like have lunch and then have like coffee and cake with her and play Scrabble. And then I would work some more and and some days I would get like 12 to 14 hours of work done. And then the next day I could do basically nothing, you know, because you kind of empty yourself out. Yeah. But that, that, that time in Chauvin, like going fish with my dad or my aunt would call and be like, we have soft shell shrimp, come and get them. And my mom and I would drive down to Cocodri and get the soft shell shrimp off the conveyor belt with the shrimp. So those were really, really important to stay inspired and to remind myself why I was doing all this, this work. 
Yeah, it's almost like you were at an artist residency, but at your at your home, like you know, with my parents trying to get along with my dad, you know. So <laughs> there's that. There's that aspect. No. Um, okay, so this is the next question. Um, what does a good recipe mean to you? Um, so a good recipe for the home cook. I would say, I would say, yeah, I'm referring to like, what's a good recipe for someone who is a home cook, who's going to see it and want to make it. Yeah. I think the, for me, the least amount of ingredients possible, mm. the least amount of ingredients where you can pull the most flavor out of it. Mm. So something as simple, like, as, like my mother's shrimp okra gumbo, which you can make with okra, onions, and shrimp and like water, salt, pepper, cayenne, hot sauce, you know, a bay leaf. So things like that, which is like, like peasant food where you're like pushing flavor out, minimalist ingredients, you know, uh, yeah. white beans. We're talking about for my mom is like white beans, onion, and salt pork, you know? So it's like these, these ways that they fed each other with such little ingredients. Um, right. And I'm thinking about like your smothered okra. Like when you say that, you say just like a, a small handful of ingredients, but when you cook the okra all day until it's broken down into this, I mean, that is so much time and love you're putting into it. Mm-hmm. And when you just hear like six ingredients, you don't really think that, but that you're, you're pushing some of those ingredients to really mm-hmm. get so much out of them that it really transforms it. Yeah. I've been writing uh, this like love affair to onions lately. I've been writing this piece and it's just all <laughs> about like, it's all about like pushing on the things you can do with onions, you know, it's just like crazy. And say in the New York times, there was a piece about like eating raw onions. And there was like one of the paragraphs that it was so beautiful. She waxes so poetically on onions. Um, so anyway, that's, those are the recipes that I love. Yeah, no, that that's, that's, I, I feel you on that. Okay, so the next recipe, I'm sorry, the next question, uh, and this relates back to what we were talking about. Uh, I know that your family, especially your mother, has had a big, big impact on your life as a chef. Um, you even dedicated the book to her. What does that mean to you, dedicating the book to your mom? I mean, my mom is, she had, she graduated from high school. She was very smart. She could have gone to college. She did not want to go to college. She wanted to be, she worked at a bank for a while. And she said that she probably could have become the president. because She was the most honest person there. But um, she decided she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and a domestic engineer and, and, and take care of things. And so she had six children and she fed us every single day. And She's in her seventies now and she still cooks every single day. Like she makes a dessert, like every other day she makes biscuits, she makes dinner. And I, I, when I hang out with her, I'm just like, you're a machine, you know, like to, to pick yourself up and put yourself in front of the cutting board every day is difficult. No matter how much you love it, feeding yourself and cooking is, is difficult um with Anne, she raised the kids and she kept our house was very clean you know and it wasn't because of us um and and so her and like her sisters who all sort of followed the same path were just such an uh 
inspiration to me, especially for like, you know, women who did all this unpaid labor, but that was the labor was so incredible and inspiring um, and sort of held together the culture and the traditions. Um, and, and yeah, and, and she's still that way. So even like this weekend, when I saw her, I'm, I'm still constantly like inspired. And every time I eat food from my mom, it's still the best food I've ever eaten in my life, you know, oh, it's really incredible. And I've taken professional chefs down to eat my mom's food and they all just don't talk while they're eating. They're all just like, oh my God. And one of my friends who owns a restaurant, he said after we, we went fishing with my dad and then my mom fed us, he said, do I leave money? You know, <laughs> like, do I leave money on the table? And then like my other friend who's a chef, um, she just was, you know, kind of like dumbstruck. And I think it's because they have all these dishes in New Orleans that are supposed to be Cajun. And then they have a dish like that my mom cooks. And it's just so incredibly simple, but so packed with flavor that it really just um, jolts you, you know, it jolts you. It's mm-hmm. like when you, it's, I guess I can compare it like for someone who's not like, who hasn't had Cajun food ever. I can compare it to like a really good, properly um, executed miso soup, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, so perfect and good and so simple where you're like I can have a couple of this every day you know that's that's so awesome so when she's when she saw that you dedicated the book to her did that um I did she know that you were going to do that or was was it a surprise I don't know if she knew I was going to do it um and it was hard for me to dedicate it to her and not my dad um, because they both are, you know, indispensable in the making of the book, but she, he doesn't cook, you know, um, he knows how to make cornflakes. Um, and so, um, but he caught the food. You he's know? Into, yeah. He's getting it. He's, he's, yeah. Part of it, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm sure that she was moved by it, but I think more than anything, it was the aftermath where mm-hmm. she became sort of a celebrity in show band. And wow. like a book broker because she sold so many books in Chauvin at the church and um, around Chauvin. And then people from all over called her and like talked to her about the book. And, and then I, so I think that that's when she realized that she and I had created something really special. And, um, and then my dad, I think it finally hit him when I was on CBS. It's like he, that was his, yeah. <laughs> He then was, you know, really it, it, it did something to him to see that I had taken our family life and this, this, um, this way of living in Chauvin and I had executed it artfully enough that the world took notice and it yeah. is a beautiful place and you want people to take notice. Yeah. And you wanted to give it a voice. You wanted to give, you know, yeah that's what you were trying to bring to the surface and you did. And it like, it must've been so exciting for your mom to have that, to be able to share that with you. And, and, um, and so special to your hometown because now they have this book that everything's documented beautifully and perfectly. And And the process was crazy for her because I would literally be like, okay, now we're going to cook this. And then I would write down everything she did. And, you know, and, and sometimes that was difficult because she, I would say, well, how do you do this? And she would say, well, I don't do nothing. And I'd be like, 
not true. That's true. <laughs> so, but she was a good sport and she still is, you know, because I'm still mining for recipes or trying to figure out how to do things. Yeah. It's funny going back to when you said your chef friend, like, well, should I leave money? It's like, it's funny that the food really is priceless. It's like, you can't buy it. It's like, yeah. it's so special. And that it's funny that the best food that you can ever have is not something that you can buy. Yeah. In a restaurant. The reason why I started the restaurant was to try to take the food from like my mother's table and my grandmother's table and my aunt's table and to transport it to New Orleans because everybody would come to New Orleans and say, I want to eat Cajun food. Where should I go eat? And I would say, no, I don't know, nowhere. Yeah. You know, and I was trying to put that home food onto onto a restaurant table so people could get a taste of this um, place. And you do that too with the experience, or I guess pre-pandemic, with like the communal table. You're trying to, you want people to feel that way when they're yeah. there. Yes. And you kind of, you kind of force people into sitting at the table and, and sharing. And um, I, I've always thought that was really interesting that, um, because I'm sure I people, we could do that right now, but I know don't even hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? The one good thing about this is that because this is virtual, it can be more accessible to people and, and we have to, you know, take note of that. Yes. So, okay. Moving right along. We have, does anything come to mind that has happened because of the book that surprised you or that you weren't expecting? Like, what was the one thing that happened that you just didn't think, like, I was, didn't see that coming? I didn't think we would get so much written feedback, you know? So many people sent letters. What? Handwritten letters with recipes. They sent letters from all over the country of people who grew up in South Louisiana but weren't there anymore. They told me about their experiences uh, one woman even sent me a hard drive, like a, a junk drive or whatever, with like all their family recipes. So um, I think that <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm it's crazy. I know. I think that it touched people who don't live in Louisiana. They live in California. They live in New York. They were up in Seattle where they felt close to home. And, and then a lot of people didn't grow up cooking with their family. And so they don't know how to cook this food. So it was a good guide, you know, to get them, you know, to their own recipes. I mean, I always say it's a guide, you know, um, and I didn't, I, I was surprised with so many like handwritten letters and people's stories. And I actually had my assistant, Regina, um, met, start a Google drive and put all this stuff in it because, Organize it, yeah. Because you're getting so much information that you can't enjoy it or, you know, and properly appreciate it because there's just too much of it. Um, and so that was that was really nice. I I didn't know how Cajuns would feel about it, you know. Um, Did they want to share the recipes or were they trying to be like, or were some of it kind of like, you're not doing this right? Or, no, or no, you, no. It, it was all about, it was all about, we feel akin to this. This is how we did it. Wow. And I think that that's what I would love to explore in, in writing uh, possibly next book is, you know, um, um, there's so many, there are thousands of gumbos, you know, and so exploring what is near and dear to other people around the state um, 
And so we got so much great feedback and we still are getting great feedback, you know, from people all over the place. And, you know, people posted on Instagram the food that they made. We never expected so many people to cook out the book. Usually when you write a cookbook, you're like, I don't know, you know, people might cook one recipe or whatever, but like so many people sending me emails, like questions about cooking or, or posting what they cooked. Like people cooked out this book. And that is, you know, like I said, if you can get somebody to the cutting board, then you're doing a great job. It's really magical to see, to, to know that the energy and effort you put into something that is written in a photograph can, can end up coming to life in someone's kitchen. It's yeah. so and I mean, certainly I wanted people to read it. So if you didn't cook out of it and you just read it, then that is great. Too, that too. You know, cause a lot of people said like, I read it cover to cover. I haven't read a book in forever, but I read it cover to cover. So then you, you know, it's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so that leads me to my last and final question. And cause you did kind of bring it up, but are you thinking about a second cookbook and is there anything that you would want to share or let us know about? So I'm in the very, very early, early, early stages of another cookbook. And um, it is um, Cajun food. And it is, um, it's very like ephemeral. It's very out there right now as I try to hone in on it. But it's very much an antidote to, I guess, what we're feeling right now, which is a lot of confusion and sort of sadness and discombobulation and like away. And it's, it's about celebrating. And so I think that in the last year and a half, when I've celebrated something, it's really meant a lot, you know, and when I say celebrate, it could be something as simple as celebrating my love for an onion um, or, or celebrating like a new year's Eve, And so I really wanted to put together a menu book where I guide people through creating a menu for acts of celebration. And that act could be celebrating someone's passing or celebrating Tuesday night, you know? Um, But we decided not to structure it maybe as a menu book, but definitely sort of like help guide people through creating like a four course menu for, um, for celebrating. And so um, you know, things like if you're going to serve something really fatty first course, then you want the acid in the second course or, or, you know, vice versa, but, um, you know, putting together, I mean, that's what I do. That is what my life is on a weekly basis. I put together menus of what's seasonal for people to eat at my restaurant. And, um, so pulling from the food that I love in South Louisiana from all over the state and not just honing in on Chauvin and, um, you know, celebrating it with the public um, and trying to help them create these uh, moments. Um, I just think it's so special that you've created this space like Mosquito Supper Club that you were able to write a whole cookbook about it and you still have this unique um, point of view that you can tap into and be creative about and share because you are creating that experience at Mosquito Supper Club and it's, um, I think it's such a cool um, second book to kind of follow this. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different angles there. And we didn't, we didn't want to, um, even though I write a piece about, you know, a Cajun farewell um, and, you know, like 
losing so many people recently, but we didn't want it to be sad because we think that there needs to be a lot of, um, you know, joy and happiness right now. And we need to really pull up the things that are special to us. And we really need to mark, um, nature is like this great marker of time and there's nothing better in nature than food. Mm. And so marking a year and, and celebrating and, and then what do we celebrate? I mean, in Louisiana, we celebrate everything. We created something called sinkhole de Mayo, you know? And so, um, we, we are a wild bunch. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, trying to share that in the realm of um, the Cajun food or, or the food that is the food of South Louisiana, because I don't think it needs to be called Cajun. I don't think it needs to be called Creole. I think it's just the food that we cook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's the title, the food that we cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you so much for talking to me today. This has been so much fun. And it has been great. I can't wait to one day come see your garden. Gotta come see the butterfly garden. It is there, it's out of control. They're just everywhere. Nice. So I'd so love to have you. But um, thank you for being here. Thank you for writing this fabulous cookbook. And thanks to the Mississippi Book Festival for hosting us. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party. Yeah.